0: We're just going to continue the conversation and talk about the substance of spiritual gifts. And it's interesting to me that when when we think about spiritual gifts um, and we think about the many different streams that are out there, many different kinds of churches or denominations, there's all kinds of perspectives. You've probably been raised one way or another or you've heard about gifts of the Spirit um, in a certain context or a certain way. Somebody has taught you or you've you are inclined to listen to this person or to that person. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to zero in on Scripture and talk about this this topic in a way where God would manifest these things in our life and the fruit of what Scripture talks about would be evidenced in in. The life that we live, and the churches that we're a part of, and the ministries that we that we have, the families that we're a part of. We don't just want them to be in the church building, but flow through the church people is what we're is what we're after. And so, in the context of this conversation about spiritual gifts, it's interesting because there are always uh, commas or periods that people have. There are, there are um, there are the the but statements. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but some of us have seen abuses or or what some might call excesses or manipulations of gifts or misinterpretations or whatever it might be. We've all um, seen or heard that in one way or another. Maybe not experienced that. My, my personal experience is that a lot of people that talk about the abuse of spiritual gifts haven't seen half of what I've seen. They haven't seen half of what I've seen. They're like, oh, yeah, but you can abuse spiritual gifts. And I'm like, give me your best example. Uh oh, well, um. And I'm like, Exactly. You need to stop listening to those people that are feeding that to you. And so what I think is important is that when we talk about spiritual gifts, we kind of go back to the conversation that Paul had with the Corinthians and seek to understand what he was trying to tell this church because when you Read like the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, he talks to them and says, you know, you, you don't really have any need of, of, uh, of the idea, you don't have any need of spiritual gifts in the sense that you're already walking in them, you already have them, you're already seeing them manifest in your midst. And so he's not really saying, like, you need these. What he tells them is you need instruction about them. You need correction or pruning or you guys need some, some uh, a, a paradigm to function by so that these things are actually helpful and beneficial, not just to make you look spiritual, but they actually carry the very nature of the Holy Spirit as you minister in them. He's wanting them to get a hold of the point of spiritual gifts. And so we see, a lot of, uh, we see a lot of baggage or a lot of excess. I, I see it, and I'm, char- I'm as charismatic, I think, as you can be. I have a high tolerance for things that, that maybe some of you would be very uncomfortable with. And I don't think it's all the Holy Spirit, but I'm kind of like, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm hungry for the Lord. And so I'm pretty okay in any environment, really. I'm just seeking Him. And it doesn't mean that everything um, is Him, But I want to look at this uh, conversation that Paul has with the Corinthians because we don't. I don't want skepticism in the church. I don't think skepticism helps people. I think discernment helps people. I think discernment helps people. But I don't think skepticism has helped any one of us grow. Do you think skepticism has helped you grow? It's a rhetorical question, okay? But do you think it really has helped you grow? I don't think it's helped any of us. It doesn't mean there aren't people out there faking it, or there or there aren't false prophets or whatever. But I think it's few and far between from half of the stuff that people label as false or fake or whatever. I think there's just a skepticism in the West that we kind of have to deal with and, um, and understand even better. It's an unfortunate uh, reality. But we, of course, want to go back to this conversation. It's interesting. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. He says this, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and this was after a bunch of instruction on the gifts of the Spirit, And I show you a still more excellent way. So that's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. And 1 Corinthians 14, 1, after the chapter 13, he says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And then he goes into talking about um, some of the abuse um, or excess or whatever you might want to call it that they're seeing in the church when it comes to prophecy in tongues. And he gives some instruction on how they need to go about it. And I want to give you kind of like a, a paradigm or a grid to kind of think about this. I've been around a, a number of churches, and I think it's important for me to mention this, that when people talk about prophecy or tongues or whatever, they'll reference these chapters like 1 Corinthians 14, and they'll say, well, when people prophesy, there needs to be two or three people that prophesy, and other people need to wait and discern what's being said, and, because that's what 1 Corinthians 14 says. But what we fail to understand is, is that Paul was writing this letter as a correction to a group of people that were manifesting spiritual gifts in ways that were not necessarily helpful or beneficial. But when you read the letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians, one of the things that he says to them is you guys are abounding in love. You don't have any need for me to encourage you in the love of God or or seek to uh, somehow um, teach you about God's love because you're abounding in it. Abounding means that not only are you having it manifest, not only are you seeing it um, grow, but it's abounding in a way where it's touching other people. And he was observing that and encouraging them like the love of God is really powerful in your midst. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, he tells them that they're quenching the Spirit. And he goes on to say, don't despise prophesying or speaking in tongues. Well, why would he say that to them? See, they were a church that had put a stop to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they were quenching the, the, the fire or the gifts of the Spirit because they had seen the abuses, and they just, instead of dealing with it and seeing the things that God wanted to do by His Spirit in the church, still continue in a healthy way, they just shut it all down. That was their response. And wouldn't you say that's what a lot of people do today. They just shut it all. Let's not even deal with it. Let's just shut it all down. That stuff's not for today. It's just easier to not have any of that go on. And that's a lot of what people do when they answer the problem. Because when you start to open up to the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit in the church, it can get messy. I can be... I've been somewhat honest with you and explicit at times just as a pastor that because I've been very open to the gift of prophecy, I've written a book, I'm writing a second book on it, I've had everybody come out of the woodwork to meetings that I've done, and they think that it's just an a open meeting and people can come up and say whatever they want in the name of God. That's not biblical. And half the time, I have no idea who they are. And so not only do they feel the freedom to do that, but they're not credible in this church and so I don't mind sometimes when people that I don't know share something in the microphone to the people, but if they're not okay with being corrected publicly, then they should never speak publicly. I didn't ask to be a pastor here, but it's my responsibility now, and I've been here long enough to know what that means, and it's, it's costed me at times. A lot of disagreements. People leave the church. That's what people do in Seattle. If they don't like what you say, they just leave. So I always respect it when people come and talk to me because that means a lot to me. If people differ or disagree, I'm open. Let, I'm game. Let's talk about it. Let's open the Scriptures together. But but when Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's definitely writing it as a father to them, and he's wanting them to have some boundaries or some guidelines, not to hinder the work of the Spirit, but to see the work of the Spirit become what it's supposed to be, what God gave it to them for, what it's all about. And so what we're after in this class and what we're after in our ministries and our churches is to see the work of the Spirit expressed through our lives in totality. But that doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all and whatever you think is God just gets to fly. There's a whole community here, by the way, and that's why God gives roles of leadership so that they can care about the whole, That's the point of that, and that's what you have to step into that kind of mindset when you think about Paul writing to these different churches. Each church needed to hear something different. The Thessalonians needed to hear, you guys are quenching the Spirit. You're not even open to prophecy. You're not even open to tongues. You guys need to open yourselves up. The Corinthians, they're way open, and he's telling them that you guys need to prune back a little bit so that your ministry will be helpful and beneficial to the church that you're a part of. And so we need to know who we are sitting here right now. You might be a Thessalonian, and you might be a Corinthian, but you need to know what word you need to hear when you read the book. If I were talking to a church that had never prophesied before, I wouldn't teach them, you need two or three to prophesy, and everybody needs to, they don't even know what prophesying means. They don't even know what it looks like or what it is. So you've got to teach them what prophecy is. You've got to activate people. So when I do prophetic meetings or I do meetings of this kind, I usually have 50 people prophesy. That doesn't fit into 1 Corinthians 14. Because we're activating the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it starts off a little messy. And then we can kind of prune back while people can actually see what it looks like. It's easier to prune the tree than it is to plant one and see it grow over a period of time. But Paul speaks to them and says this to them like, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but follow the way of love. And that's the substance of the gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are supposed to be embedded into the love of God. Now it's amazing how people will use 1 Corinthians 13 in all kinds of ways that it's not really meant to be. I mean, I've done lots of weddings and we use 1 Corinthians 13 in weddings. It's really not an appropriate context for that chapter at all if you know the context it's it's not a really a great time to be referencing that but that 1 corinthians 13 the chapter of love is sandwiched in between in between a thorough explanation of spiritual gifts and corrections regarding a few of the abuses to a church that is manifesting these and we read the importance of love being the motivation and that's what we want to go after And I don't want to stop anybody from their ministry. I just want to say what I think Paul is saying as we talk about this is that as we seek to be used by God, we need to have these checks in our heart that God is my heart full of love. We need to be people that are constantly putting our heart before the Lord, like, is this about you, Lord, or is this about me? We need to be thinking like that all the time. If you and I have these assumptions that everything that we're doing in the name of Jesus is always perfect and pure, we don't even have a grid for growing in Christ. And occasionally, we need a neighbor to knock on our door and say, hey, you know, when you did that, this is how I felt, didn't feel very good. And people will usually say to you in that context, well, here's what I meant. Well, I understand what you meant, but here's what you said. (laughs) Okay, this is what actually came out of your mouth. And it's important that we go after both. We eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but we do so in the flow of love. It's like the train on the tracks, right? It's the train on the tracks. And that's what we want to talk about. That is the substance of spiritual gifts. Now, I also want to say to you tonight that you and I, as we're growing in Christ, it's very important that we don't shoot ourselves in the foot before we step out. There are a lot of us that we second-guess ourselves all the time. Well, I don't, I don't really know if, you know, if I'm loving. I don't really know if this is, you know, I mean, you can't do that to yourself. You can't even judge things until they come out of you, all right? You can't prejudge your ministry, all right? That's called insecurity, or actually I would say it's called fear, you can't prejudge what hasn't manifested. You judge it when it comes out of you. That's when you judge it and you go, Lord, if there is anything of me in that, would you prune it back and would you just purify and cleanse me? And the Lord's faithful to do that, but he doesn't want us to stop ministering to people because we're not sure that it's fully, completely pure and loving and from Jesus. That's a wrong understanding and, and that we would put that expectation on other people would be a wrong thing to do as well. And we do it all the time. You do it all the time. Don't say you don't, because you do. You think, well, I'm not really sure. You know when they said that? Well, it's like people will throw an entire sermon out based on one idea or one thought that maybe wasn't a fully cooked steak by the pastor or whatever, you know. Maybe it should have gone back on the barbecue for a little bit more. That's true. But you threw out all of that good stuff because of that one thing that person was saying. And yet you and I do it all the time. And it really reveals that's sort of the expectation that we have. It's called perfectionism. And we want to get delivered of that before we have children, hopefully. Because you see what it does to help nurture people. It kills what's inside of them before it ever comes out of them. It kills them. And so we want to be an environment that's seeing spiritual gifts grow in the context of God's love. But to do that, we've got to go after both. That's why he says it very clearly, follow the way of love, the way of love, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's a both and, not an either or. And we've got to make sure that that's that's exactly what we think. Now I want to talk to you, of course, as I've said, about 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to give you some context, uh, because if you were in our How to Study the Bible class, we've got to do that so that we can set it up properly. Now Paul's writing to a group of believers that he knew fairly well, as you know, and He spent about a year and a half in Corinth with them. He planted the church in Corinth, and so he's writing to them about four or five years later. So these believers that he's writing to, they're about six years old in the Lord. That's not old, to be a Christian for about six years. So it's important that when you're reading the letter, you understand what kind of expectations that he has for a six-year-old believer. It's quite a bit higher than I think we have often today. And so he's writing a remedial letter. It's highly correctional. He's addressing some of the questions that they had in a letter they wrote to him, and he talks about pride and envy and sexual immorality. I mean, there's some chapters in there, by the way, that don't quite make sense to some of us. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. He talks about division. He talks about pride. He talks about laying down our freedoms for the sake of others. And in Corinth, there was a culture of idolatry, it was a culture of idol worship. And all of their views on what love even was is very twisted. That's why it's extremely important that you get this. Like if you lived in Corinth, Corinth was like in a radius. It was about a six-mile radius of a city, and it had a wall around it. And in a walled city, culture, the culture of that city moves through the city in a way where everybody is affected by it. Everybody. And so you have this paganism. You have this idol worship you have these shrines. You don't even go to work in the morning without walking by a temple or a shrine. It's just the norm of the city of Corinth. And I was just kind of looking at some of the shrines and the temples that they have, and I wanted to tell you about them. They're, they had a shrine to Apollo. These were large ones. There are many small ones, many small idol gods that they would worship in their homes. But the large ones that they had were the shrine to Apollo. And Apollo was a many-talented uh, Greek god of prophecy, music intellectual pursuits and healing and plagues. And then isn't it interesting how when he talks about prophecy and healing and the gifts of the Spirit, that they have like this, those that have come out of paganism have this like grid for worshiping a God that does similar things to what our God does through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called counterfeit. It's called a counterfeit. But they had this grid and it messed with them as they sought to be used by God. The temple of Asclepius, the god of healing, and there were many temples built around for the sick people to come, and so sick people would just lay out in the temple. And this is what they saw. This was normal for their children to see. There was a shrine to Hermes, the great herald or messenger of the gods. He was the evangelist. The shrine to Hercules, the son of Zeus, who was half human, half God, who was powerful with a lust problem, apparently, there there's a shrine to Athena, a helper, a goddess of wisdom, temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, beauty, and sexuality, which was the largest temple in Corinth. So they, what I'm saying is they had a twisted view of love. They had a twisted view of love. When you wanted to worship the gods, one of the things that you would do is you'd go to the temple and you would join yourself to a prostitute or many prostitutes in part of your offering and your worship to one of the gods. It's interesting, in, Ro- in Roman culture, it wasn't necessarily accepted for them to live in fornication. They still believed in marrying and then in the context of marriage, sexual relationship. But one of the ways that they dealt with that um, in terms of them having this perverted sexual immorality is you would go to the temple and that's how you would release your sexual, sexually immoral thoughts and behaviors. And so everybody participated in paganism for one reason or another. And so this was love to them. This was like, oh, the goddess of love, the God of love. That's why he talked to them in, in very detailed ways about sexual immorality. And we read that and then go, oh my gosh, but there's a lot of that going on today too, ladies and gentlemen. And it might be in the comfort of people's own home on their computer screens. But lust is lust. I mean, that's what's going on today. And we're worshiping images by watching some of the stuff that people are watching. Watching, it's worshiping an image. It's an image, you watch that, you look at that, you want that, you lust after that. It's still worship. And we have that going on today, and so their culture was paganism. We got some of that flowing today, too. And what it does is it warps our idea of love, and it causes us to be selfish instead of selfless. It causes them to be selfish instead of selfless. And so it makes a lot of sense when we read Paul talking to them about wanting to be spiritual And wanting to show off and wanting to feel and look that way and have other people see them that way. And he has to come to them and say, listen, it's not about you looking spiritual. It's about you actually being spiritual. And in order for that to happen, you've got to have love flowing through your life. And so when you manifest the gifts of the Spirit, you've got to do it in love. Love is the river for these gifts to flow through. That's just the way that God wants it to happen. And so we've got to have both. They have this twisted view, perverted view of, of, of love, and he wants to bring them back to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, says this, right after these instructions on spiritual gifts, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that, in modern day, would just be, I become annoying, right? Because if I came out, I, I mean, I'll go back there. If there were some symbols, just, you'd all want me to stop, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and, I, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. He doesn't even say what I'm doing is nothing. He's saying what I am is nothing. It doesn't benefit me and it doesn't benefit the people that I'm ministering to. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now listen to that. He's talking about the person doing it. You can give all of your money away and let everybody know what you did, but it doesn't profit you at all. So your spirituality isn't actually spiritual. Wow. Anybody else take that kind of seriously? I'm just wondering, how's that settle on you a little bit? He's giving them a correction. He's giving them a correction. Now, this is what he says. He wants to describe love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked or easily angered. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things it endures all things and love never fails and you know it doesn't mean like when you seek to love people it doesn't fail it means love never ceases it means it goes on to eternity sometimes you people say love never fails like if you seek to love people that it will always penetrate it always get that's actually not what it is saying there he's saying love never ceases because it continues into eternity it's a quality it's a characteristic it's actually the essence of god that will be forever and ever love never ceases But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away, and if there are tongues, they will cease, and if there's knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, when that which is perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's exalting love. But he's not exalting love at the expense of people ministering in spiritual gifts. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And we've got to grab Paul's heart right now and think about what he's really trying to say and who he's trying to say it to. What's he really going after? And so what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to do two things. The first I want to do is I want to define biblical love. And the second thing that I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about what love looks like according to Paul. Okay, I want to define it and I want to describe it. Define it as what it is. Describe it as what it's like. And so biblical love in my statement is this, based on the scriptures. Biblical love is acting in the best interest of another person. It's from God, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it's acting in the best interest of another person. That's what love is. It's not thinking well of somebody, it's not making a statement to somebody necessarily, it's acting in the best interest of another person. That's what love is. Paul makes it clear that ministering in spiritual gifts without love is selfish, or it can be selfish, which isn't obviously loving, and he spends a lot of time redefining love because of the culture that's affected their understanding here's what we know love is first john talks about it but we go back to the scripture that first john references which is john chapter 3 verse 16 and it says for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son the only begotten of the father the one and only son god had one son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life god so loved the world that he gave that's the principle That his love compelled him, motivated him to give. And he gave all. He gave absolutely everything that he could give. He spared no expense. He did what needed to be done. He gave all that could be given. That's love acting in the best interest of us. That's what God did. God looked down and he said, I'm not going to leave them in their sin. I'm going to pay for their sin. We sung about it tonight. I'm going to give my son Jesus to be the all-sufficient sacrifice for their sin, that they could be completely covered, that their sin could be washed away forever. That's what I'm going to do. God acted in, in our best interest by doing what he did. And he laid the example. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 13 when he washed the disciples' feet. He lowered himself to a slave and he washed their feet. And he told the disciples, you go and do likewise. You lower yourself. And do whatever needs to be done to serve the people that are in front of you. That's what love is. And when we take spiritual gifts and we talk about spiritual gifts, whether it's healing or word of knowledge or word of wisdom or prophecy or whatever it is, and we can get excited about the testimony, but what we really need to get excited about is somebody getting delivered, somebody getting healed, somebody getting taught, somebody getting instructed, somebody experiencing God. Spiritual gifts have got to be about somebody experiencing God. And we get to be a part of that, that's our honor, that's our privilege but that's what it's got to be about it can't be about how I feel it can't be about the testimony that I get to share, we might share a testimony that's a good thing but it cannot be about me and that's what happens and so we've got to keep our heart in check. And I want to encourage you, go for it with spiritual gifts, man. I'm going for it. You go for it too. Let's, let's go for it. Let's pray for the sick every day. Let's prophesy. Let's manifest hospitality. Every, I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not just the ones that look supernatural. I believe in all of them. I believe the church needs all of them. But as we do that, let's pursue love. That's what Paul's saying to them. Pursue the way of love. And you can do both, by the way. You can do both. Because they're the gifts of the Spirit, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. And when those two together, it's like the power of Jesus with the nature of Jesus, and we minister in the name of Jesus, and the world sees Jesus. And that's what the world needs. We manifest Christ, every aspect of Christ. We don't want to be afraid of any aspect of Christ. We want it all. Why? Because the world needs all of him. I have this message where I talk about, is Jesus welcome? That's the message. It's from Mark chapter 6. There are two times in the Bible where people actually didn't want Jesus to stay with them. And one of them's in Mark chapter 6. The other one's when he cast the demons into the pigs. And they're like, sir, can you please leave our region? You pretty much killed all of our pig herds. You know, I mean, they didn't know what to do with this guy. And there are two times that I can find in the Gospels where they didn't want Jesus to remain with them so I have this message called, Is Jesus Welcome? And what I mean by that, and hear me really clearly. I think people like the forgiveness part. I think people like the, the kindness part. I think people like the, the, the idea of God being a father. But what about the power of God? What about the healing of Jesus, the virtue of his healing that flows from the atonement, that flows from his blood? By his stripes, we are healed. The effect of our sin condition is is the fact that we we are sick and we do have diseases at times. That comes from the original sin. That doesn't come from God punishing us. That doesn't come from my personal sin. It comes from the original sin. If Adam and Eve didn't sin, sickness and disease would have never entered the world. And so when God forgives us of our sin, friend, I want to tell you something, the effects of sin can be rolled back to where they belong, which is hell itself. That's why when Jesus came, and hear me very clearly, you may be here and you may not be healed right now, but you've got to believe this. The effects of sin Jesus can deal with. That is why when Jesus came, he manifested the kingdom. And it wasn't just to forgive people. He also told them that you can roll up your mat and you can walk home, friend, because it's not just forgiveness, it's healing too. He wants to manifest all of it. And my question to people is, is all of Jesus welcome? Not just the parts that I like, not just the little forgiveness for when I sin in my secret place, which should be a different place, but every part of Jesus has got to be welcome in our homes. Not just the parts that we like, that's for all of us. Sometimes there are scriptures in the Bible that I read, I go, man, that's a hard word, but I know this about Jesus. Every word, whether I think of it as hard or not, it's a word that I need so every word from God, whether it seems difficult or not, is a good word because it's a word that I need. But what is, what is love? love? Love compelled God to give the greatest gift. Love should compel us to give our gifts. I believe gifts of the Spirit are empowered love. That's what they are to me. They're empowered love. They're gifts that come from God, and I don't, I don't think it's loving to withhold what God's given. Now there's different ways to look at this, but I actually think that if you've been given gifts by God that you can't withhold them because that's not loving to the people around you. What he's given to you, he wants to manifest through you. And if we stop that from happening, then we aren't loving the people in our world that need what God has given. Every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights who gives without partiality, without he's not shifting in shadows. He's a God of light and he wants to manifest that through us. And so when he puts stuff on the inside of us or when he gives us his holy spirit, Spirit, we've got to be in partnership with Him to see the thing that He has given to us and those things that He's given to us, they got to be freely given. Freely you ever see, freely give. And so we've got to be open for business all the time, all the time, all day long. And we have the, all of these mindsets. Well, I'm not an evangelist or I'm not a prophet. That might be true, but it doesn't mean that that excuse can become a dam that you build for the flow of God's Spirit moving through my life and moving through your life. We cannot build these kinds of dams because, in eventuality, none of us like where that ends up. It's just unfruitfulness is where that, is where that leads. That's where it leads. Fear is a dam that we build up, we don't have to be afraid. The Corinthians were influenced by a spirituality that had very little substance because it, it, was, it wasn't loving. And so they got into this kind of like routine where they could show up at a gathering and they could do all of these spiritual things and they could look spiritual, but it didn't benefit anybody. But you know, the same is true to the Thessalonians who came to a gathering, they showed up and they did nothing but just read the scripture because they didn't believe the book that they were reading. To the Corinthians' credit, at least they were manifesting what they, what they were told. Now, they needed to be pruned back, but either way, it's a, it's a ditch on either side of the road, friend. And I've been a part of both, and I personally am now at the point where I'd rather have something going that we can prune back than constantly try to tell people that we need something to happen. And everybody be afraid. We need to kill fear. What are we afraid of? The most effective, trusted people are those moving in love and power. Love and power. The way of love is a lifestyle of seeking the benefit of others. The gifts and the power of the Spirit are tools or aids to help people as we love them. That's what they are. They're empowered love. What does love look like according to what Paul says to the Corinthians? After redefining love for the Corinthians, he describes it in this way. Listen, love is patient. Now, do you mind me breaking some of these down for you? I mean, I'm going to do it anyways, but I like to include you guys. You know how I do that. Appreciate you so much. (laughs) Love is patient. It means tolerance through the transformation process of other people. listen, Listen, love... Contextually, he's not just giving like marriage vow uh, material here. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Love is patient. Love carries with it a tolerance for the transformation process, process of another person. Let me ask you. <laughs> let me ask you about your patience for other people and where they're at. You know, do you have high expectations on other people when they're like three-year-old Christian? You perfectionist, you know, do you put those expectations on other people? Do you constantly have something to say? Or do you have do you constantly have something to pray? I'm talking to me too, friend. Listen to me. Love is kind, it's gentle, it's easy, it's good-natured, it's approachable. Is your spirituality what you're putting out to people, what you're manifesting to people, is it approachable? There's some things that you, some problems you can't solve, but are you approachable? Is it approachable, what you're doing? Is it intreatable, or is it just definitive? What I'm doing is of God. Is that how you come off? I've been a part of that. Listen, and I've seen fruitlessness and fruitfulness. I've seen people act like that. Everything that they say is God told me to tell you, or this is God. If you talk like that, it's not entreatable. It's not approachable, right? I have a lot of folks in my office that Talk like that, and I go. Well, how do you know that it's God all the time? I give him a copy of my book. So there you go. (laughs) Love does not envy. See, we want what others have. We want. We want what other people have. You know, I, I I have this personal view that often we're waiting for God to give us something else before we we let Him use us. Often, some of us are waiting to be someone else before God. Letting God use us. And so who we are, what we have is not enough. And so we've got to be somebody else or act like somebody else or talk like somebody else. Just be yourself and grow where you are and do what God wants you to do. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is attracted to the unique person that you are. And when we can be comfortable in our own skin, that's where life really begins. And we just... Let all of that baggage fall off us. You are who you are. God wants you to be who you are. I mean, he's going to continue to help you grow into fullness, but we've got to stop waiting for something else. Stop envying. You know, nobody comes into my office as a pastor and says, you know, I'm really envious. (laughs) I'm really struggling with jealousy. You know what I mean? I'm just really struggling. It's just the fruit I'm eating from right now, pastor. I'm telling you what. It is bitter too, man. Wow. It is just not good stuff, you know. Have you ever ate from it? No? Okay, maybe I shouldn't have told you about that. It's just not the confession that I get. It's always lust or whatever, but it's never envy, like jealousy. But I think we all, some of us struggle with some jealousy or envy. You want to be somebody else. Be yourself. Be yourself. Can I say this to you as well? When you're envious, what you really want is you want the grace of God to be removed from somebody else's life because you're so consumed with yourself. So somebody's, somebody's gifted by the Holy Spirit and you're constantly making remarks about little nitpicky things about how anointed they're not. Well, you don't know about this little thing or, you know, when they said that little... That's, you, know what, you know what that is? That's the exact opposite of what Paul is telling, telling us tonight. Don't be envious. What, what we're saying is, I want the grace to be removed from their life because they don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. If you need to say amen, it'd be right now. Not one of us in this room deserve that kind of grace. All of us are imperfect representing the perfect. That is a, that is a recipe for problems. I love it when people are like, I have the gift of discernment. I'm like, you have a critical spirit and one eyeball, and that is not a gift. Right? You and I, you and I, you and I need to grow in love. Jesus picked 12 guys. One of them was a betrayer who killed himself. He picked 12 guys. He gave them authority and power and sent them out to represent him. What do you do with that? Way before I would have ever let those guys go and minister. I mean, I would have been like, you're on a five year plan, you're going to be in the discipleship program. You're going through our internship. you got to read all 10 of these books. Jesus is like, here's power, and here's his big brother authority. Now go to every city that I want you to go to. Maybe he knows something we don't know. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It doesn't brag. It doesn't name drop. It doesn't elevate myself to, to other people to feel important. And that's what sometimes... We do as we seek to be gifted people and really gifted people that are supposed to just give away what Christ gives to us, right? We're not talking about, I'm a powerful person because I have the power of the Spirit. I'm a gifted person. You know, we all are. And so we're not boasting. We're not bragging about it. We're not trying to show off. You know, the gifts of the Spirit, they're not toys. They're tools for the kingdom of God. Love is not proud. It's not selfish. It doesn't promote. It doesn't promote, and one of the ways to get rid of pride is to promote other people. I mean, do the exact opposite and say, man, I really appreciate that person. You know, let that come out of your mouth more often. Love is not rude. It doesn't act improper. It doesn't dishonor others. And when we're ministering in gifts of the Spirit or whatever the gift is, is it rude or does it act improper or... We have, to, we have to think about these kinds of things. Is it out for self-gain. Love is not self-seeking. Again, the definition of love is that we seek the benefit of others. Love is not easily angered or irritated. That word angered, we put that in a category all of, on its own, but it really, the word anger there means to be easily irritated. What do you think about that one? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't have an anger problem. Easily irritated? Kind of. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's, that's me. Thanks, Paul. Thanks that Greek words mean like 10 different things. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Easily irritated. Easily roused. We lose our peace really quickly. And you know when you lose your peace, you're not focused on loving the person in front of you. right? We, We realize that. I think moms realize that more than anybody with their children. And they deserve a special place in heaven for that reason alone. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We're called to a radical forgiveness that just doesn't make sense. All right, it just doesn't make sense. Do we label people based on what they've done or do we allow them to grow in the community that we're a part of? Right. What banner are we holding people under? It comes out of our mouth. The Bible says, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. What are we saying about other people? What do we say about other people? Doesn't matter what you say to their face. What do you say when they're not there? What do you say in your heart? What comes out of you? What comes out of me? And we're talking about seeing God cleanse that so that gifts would be pure and they would represent Christ. Love does not delight in evil or any wrongdoing for any reason whatsoever. Love rejoices with the truth, it always wants what's right. Because the truth is always best for everyone. Love protects. It covers. It covers the body. It covers the mistakes of others. You know, it rejoices in the truth. So it doesn't like cover the truth and act like truth isn't important. It actually delights in the truth. It rejoices with the truth. But as that is the case, we also cover one another. We seek to, love covers a multitude of sins. It covers one another. And we actively seek to do that. Not by denying the truth, but with the truth as a part of the ingredients. Love believes all things. So we commit ourselves to believing in others because of the power of God. God is transforming me. He's transforming you. You are not what you're going to fully be. And so whatever it is that I see in front of me right now, if I love or like that or don't like that, I've got to have that tolerance where I can believe what God is doing in your life you're growing, that I'm growing, and we're developing, and we've got a grace for that in the community as we seek to represent Jesus and minister to one another in his purposes. Love always hopes It always expects the best, and love always endures, and it doesn't give up. Love doesn't give up. We don't throw in the towel on anybody. That's the way that we are. That's who we are. That's how we think about one another. It's part of the flow of our life. Love is the motivation of our ministries. It's the heart and the substance behind what we do. The gift is what we do, but love is what we are. Isn't that amazing? You know, in first John, I think it's 4 7. Anyways, 1 John chapter 4, it says that God is love. Love is not something God has. Love is something that God is. It's his essence, it's his core. He is love. And it's very important that we get that, that he wants that to be a part of us and who we are. It's what we're being renewed to. It's what he's developing on the inside. It's actually the the first fruit of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and it goes on, but it's love. And some scholars actually believe that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love manifests in all eight other things that he talks about. Some people believe that that's actually what that means, That every other fruit of the Spirit is simply just a manifestation of love itself. The fruit of the Spirit is love, comma, and then it manifests in all these different ways. Some people believe that's what it means. Either way, it's the first one, and it's the essence of of God Himself, and surely He's developing that and nurturing that on the inside of us. And it cannot be overlooked is what I'm saying tonight. We're going to be a community, and this will be a place, and this will be a people where we go after all of the things of the Spirit, and we're growing in that. Nobody owns the block on being the most spiritual people on the planet. That's pride. And whenever I hear that, I'm just... It, I, it, there's a taste in me where I, I, I don't know, again, like I might have to hit the edit button on some of the things I'm going to say tonight, but 17 years ago, I came to Jesus, and, and I started having all these encounters with the Lord, okay? Okay? I mean, I won't go into it, but I just, and I was at a church that didn't accept that stuff, and so I'd tell the pastor, and he thought I was crazy, and long story short, I started feeling rejected. That's what I went through, just rejection, 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 but these things didn't stop. They just kept going. I was encountering the Lord, and then I would read the Bible, and I'm like, whoa, visions and dreams and all this crazy stuff. It's like in the book that they told me to read. So I was reading the book, and I read the book, and I felt validated by the book, but not by the people that told me to read the book. I felt rejected by the people. And so to be really honest with you, I, didn't, I wasn't a loving person. I, I wasn't very developed in love, and so I would just, the rejection would cause me to reject. And over 17 years, the Lord had to teach me how to reject rejection, but not reject people that rejected me. There's a big difference, by the way. But I just be really honest with you, that took me a long, that's taken me a long time. And I still feel the flavor of some of that try to creep in, and I go, nope. It's where you start to be hurt for people instead of by people. And the sting doesn't touch you anymore like it once did. It used to touch me and get into me and and mess with me and lose sleep over it. Now it's like I'm asking for God to grieve with him. Now, if I've genuinely wronged somebody, I don't want to act as though they need help (laughs) when I need to repent. That would be twisted. But what I'm saying is, is that we've got to learn how to be people that are being nurtured by the Father in His love for others, Um, as we seek to be Spirit-filled people and minister in the gifts of the Spirit. But I, you know, just started running in the things of God as they were coming to me, and I didn't have a name for all this stuff, I didn't understand all this stuff, and there were a lot of... Communities that I were a part of back then and they didn't know how to help me at that time and so I would go to the black market section of the Christian bookstore, which is like the charismatic section. That's what I call it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's always like always in the back. <laughs> sure, we'll put your book back here. The Jezebel spirit. You know, it's like way back there. And Joel Osteen's in the front with his nice hair. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just New York bestseller and then the Jezebel spirits in the back, so anyway, so I would read like all of those books by all those guys, Smith Wigglesworth and all the weird names, everybody, I mean, I read it all, I mean, God's generals and the lieutenants and chiefs, and I mean, I read every book I could get my hands on when it came to the things of God, and then I started, I went to the school of prophecy or the school of the prophets, they called it the school of eagles, and I started going to that kind of stuff, and, and people were, you know, they weren't just on the other side, they were like on another planet, some of them, you know, so you're just like, you know, I always say like, People are uh, (laughs) edit, but uh, there are people that are like awed by God. They're like awed by His presence, and then there are people that are just odd. You know, just you know. And you need to know which one you are. You might be next to somebody that's one or the other. So it's funny because we're making fun of ourselves. I didn't know what category I was in. I'm just sort of sharing with you for a moment that like. I was going through this, and, and so I would find every environment. And, and as I was doing that, I would go to all kinds of meetings and churches and places, and there were things I didn't even understand. I mean, it was just like, what is going on here? And, um, and it helped me, though, it helped me to see that there are a lot of well-meaning people that do things a lot differently than the rest of the body of Christ. And I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't, I don't know. I'm not Pentecostal enough for some Okay, And I'm too Pentecostal for everyone else. So I don't really care, to be honest. But, but at the end of the day, what I, what I want is I want to do what Jesus said. And he said to make disciples. That's what Jesus said to do. And I remember what he said. It rings in my ear all the time. That's the truth. It rings in my ear all the time. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all things that I commanded you. And I know this, that whenever we as a community start to teach everything but what Jesus taught, something's wrong. So I was a part of communities that would teach everything but what Jesus taught. We'd be talking about portals and all kinds of, and you'd never hear about the gospel of Jesus. And the Lord brought me back in those days to a place of seeing Christ exalted, And preaching the gospel and making disciples through the words of Jesus Christ. And so that's my passion. And it's not because I'm I'm an evangelist. It's because I want to be a great commission person, carrying that in my heart, the fullness of that. That's how people come to Christ. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest gift is Jesus given for the world. It's the greatest gift. And we reveal him through these spiritual gifts that he's given us. And so I'm passionate about the body of Christ, understanding that. But I've gone through some of these seasons and these, these times and these things, and I don't understand all of it. And, and sometimes I'm a little put off by, by things that seem strange to me, to be really honest with you, if it doesn't talk about Christ. But the Lord constantly speaks to me and says, it's not your job, Ben, to worry about the motivation of their hearts. And I just have this sense right now, I have this sense that there are some of us in this room That are constantly talking about and thinking about how other people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing because you don't understand how they are as a body of Christ. And I would just say to you, in love, knock it off. Just don't do it anymore. If you don't have the spiritual authority to discern and to judge in a community, it's not for you to do. Do you hear what I'm saying? If God hasn't given you the place to roll up your sleeves and to deal with something in a community where it is upon you to deal with that, then it's probably consuming a part of you that is supposed to be reserved for something that God really wants you to focus on, which is, quite frankly, love. I can hear a pin drop. You guys doing okay? And we have to stop being judge people, judges for God. He doesn't need any judges. He needs messengers. He needs carriers of his love. That's what he wants. That's what he's called us to. Vessels of his power that aren't afraid. And they're not so easily put off by what other people are or aren't doing. We don't need to be God's watchdog. You say, why would you say that to me? Because I've been back and forth in this thing. And I hear the Lord saying to me regularly, like, stop. You don't have to do that. Just pray. Just pray. So some stuff is going to make you uncomfortable. Well, that's probably a good thing. Doesn't mean it's right, but it's a good thing for you to wrestle with what it means to love people that aren't like you. Don't use your terminology. Don't talk like you. Don't look like you. Don't act like you. It's a really good thing for you and I to know what it means to love people. And one of the ways we do that is by being around diversity. Diversity very helpful for us. All right. Last thing I want to say to you which may last a long time. I don't know. <laughs> pursuing love and desiring gifts. That's the concept that I started with. That's the concept that I'm going to end with. Paul gives the clearest vision for pursuing love and desiring gifts. 1 Corinthians 14:1. I'll read it to you again. He says this, "Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy." And I'm saying to you, we can have both. But we have to have the same vision. That Paul laid down, and he laid down, follow the way of love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Be hungry for, desire, go after, pursue. There's this dual pursuit. People say to me sometimes, like, you need to, like, seek the giver and not the gift. Well, Paul said seek the gifts, so we need to do both. But do you see what we do is we build into our doctrines an either-or scenario, and it's never that. That's not what Paul said. That's not what Jesus said. That's what we say. And we do that for weird reasons, and we don't even want to dig those bones up and discover why. We just want to do what the Bible says. And the Bible says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It doesn't even just say desire spiritual gifts. It says eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Be hungry for it. Be excited about it. Be passionate about seeing spiritual gifts become a part of your life and community. That's what it says. So that's what we want to go with. And I wanted to talk to you, just just give you a few points about how we can grow in the love of God as we desire spiritual gifts, okay? Four points, I'll go through them very quickly. The first one is receive a greater revelation of God's love for me. We need to receive a greater revelation of God's love for me. How do we do that? We ask the Father to reveal to us his love through his son for us, personally. I remember the day where I was reading Galatians chapter two, verse 20, and Paul talks about, I was crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. So now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for, who died for me and gave himself for me. I remember reading that one day, and it just didn't sound like a parrot in my mind, but there was something about the love of God that just touched me when it said, when Paul said, as an individual, who died for me. I remember the day I read that, and I went like, he died for me. And it just jumped off the page, and it went, And I don't get, like, emotional on the outside a lot, but, man, I couldn't control it. I was like, whoa, he died for me. You need those moments. We need those moments where we can read that, and it isn't just Paul saying that to us, it's actually us embodying that, us carrying the cry that Paul was imparting to the Galatian church, where he, say, he was saying, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who died for me. And we own that, and we see that, and we sense that, and we feel that, because it's truth. It's truth. And it becomes a part of who we are and what we think. We need that revelation to go deeper. And we need to stop saying, oh, I already know that. It's not about knowledge. That was the Greek thing. That was the Greek thing. They loved to stand in the the temples or outside of the temples, and they loved to just talk and debate. And whoever had a better debate, you know, that was the person that everybody would listen to that's what they love to do and so Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that it it wasn't about eloquent speech but the demonstration of the Spirit's power why did he say that to them because they lived in a city that loved to hear people talk and so Paul was like hey I'm going to come and when I come we're going to find out the power of the people that are saying that they're super apostles and super gifted we're going to see what kind of substance is flowing through their life why did he say that It's very important. We need to receive a greater revelation of God's love for us, to see the cross and all that God has done. You know, I don't even sing songs where it's like, there's a song that says, open up the skies of mercy and rain down your your love. I I don't sing that song because you can't pray for more when God's already given everything. And hear me me what I'm saying. That's why worship leaders need to be very careful that they don't sing Old Testament songs. (laughs) When you pray, God have mercy on me, he will say to you, I already have in Christ. There is not more that God can give than Jesus. How many of you agree with what I just said? Can God give more than he has already given? Hebrews said it is an all-sufficient sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. Jesus Christ slain before the foundations of the world. Everything has been given. Nothing more can be given by God. All we can do is receive what God has already given. But to ask for him to give more really just means that we don't fully understand what God has already given to us. And so what we need to have happen is we need a revelation of the love of God that was poured out for us on the cross because it's not going to get any better than that. And the depths of that revelation go deeper and deeper and deeper. And we can't be people that constantly say, I know that, I understand that, I already believe that. We can say that, I believe that. But God, I want that revelation to just hit me. I want that revelation to go deeper that Jesus Christ came to this world and took on human flesh. And he allowed us sinners to put him on a cross and he did that for me. We need that to go deep into our heart, deep into our heart and saturate us. And as that happens, as that happens, we will find ourselves saying to God, thank you a whole lot more than we do right now. Thank you, God, for the cross. Thank you for what you have done in Jesus. Help me to understand that. Help me to do what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, to walk worthy of the calling for which I have received in Jesus Christ. Help me to walk worthy of it, to be a steward of what's inside of me when I don't even fully understand it. I don't even fully get it. Don't walk around. None of us should walk around going, yeah, I already know that. Yeah, that's right. We need a fuller revelation i'm not saying we don't have him i'm saying we need a fuller understanding our minds to be renewed to the fullness of what jesus has done for us that's the journey of the christian life it never gets better it's always jesus it's always jesus so we pray for a greater understanding of this It's not just a spiritual encounter where God just sideswipes us and we fall to the ground. It's we actually intentionally pray for a greater understanding of this. It's part of our prayer. God, I want to see you for all that you are. Blow my mind today. Isn't that a good prayer? Wake up in the morning, God, blow my mind today. (laughs) Just blow it right off my shoulders. (laughs) Nobody better put that on some social media platform. <laughs> I, already fu- I already think that one's coming back to me. Once I said it, I just said, I knew, I knew part of my team was going to do that. They're already, they're already on like Instagram and Twitter. Blow my mind off my shoulders today, Pastor Ben. It's terrible. You guys are terrible at that, at, at that, at, at that. Second is be filled with the Spirit. Galatians five twenty two says that love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not our fruit, but it's His. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Holy Spirit. And that's number three: is walk in the Spirit. That's what Paul says. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Do you have a problem with sin in your life right now? I want to give you the secret. Are you ready for this? I'm going to give you not a secret or just one of many, I'm going to give you the secret for the sin that plagues you in your life if you have a problem with any sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter what it is. Paul says this, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He didn't say you won't be tempted by it. He just said you won't live in it, you won't fulfill it, you won't exercise it. So it's not just about avoiding something, it's about us exercising what we have to displace what we don't want to be anymore. And we don't spend all of our energies and efforts stopping something. We spend all of our energy and efforts living who we have been called to be. And the more that we do that, the less we want to sin, the less we will sin, and the less we even think about sin. So when the temptation comes our way, we just go, no, I'm too busy. (laughs) I mean, I'm too busy living in Christ. Paul would say in Romans that we're made alive in Christ and dead to sin. So reckon yourselves dead to sin. Intentionally, I'm dead to that because I'm alive to Christ in God. So we live alive to Christ in God, which means we're people of the word, and we're people of prayer, and we're people of community, and we're people of fellowship, and we're people that are stepping out, and we're people that are praying for others and serving others. And when we consume ourselves with Jesus' stuff, Sin just doesn't have a place because we're full, right? We're full. So walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Give your gifts away is number four. Loving people means that you are giving them, um, giving people what God has given to you. That is love. Did you know it's loving to give your gifts away? Like, for example, there are people that, and Drew, if you would come, I'm going to have to wrap it up. Got to wrap it up right now. There are people, some of us maybe were really skilled, and I'm not saying this is a spiritual gift, but like I meet a lot of artists who have sketch pads, and they're just beautiful art, but they never want anybody to see. I don't want anybody to see. And I, and I try to encourage people. God's given that to you to share with others. It wasn't just for you to do in secret. You can do something with that. You can do something with that. And so we have, sometimes we have this mindset, I don't want anybody to know because we're afraid of what that might mean to us, or we're afraid that people might think that we think highly of ourselves, or I don't know what we think, but we think a lot of different things, but we keep what God has given us to ourselves. It's loving to give away what you have. My daughter, uh, with my wife and I, we have a nine-year-old daughter named Azariah, she's amazing, and she's totally a charismatic Pentecostal, before she ever knew what that was. I mean, she just out there. And I remember she, uh, she likes to dance and draw and all this kind of stuff. Well anyways, she would just like draw all of these things um, and she would give them to neighbors and she would give them to people and she gives stuff to me all the time. I find it in my bag. Sometimes my wife helps get into my bag, but I find stuff all the time and when I come home, she's like, Daddy, look at this and she's just so free to give away what she has cause she's constantly thinking about me or other people to the point where she's not even thinking about what I might think about her thinking of herself by giving this thing, do you understand what I'm saying? Just like, it's not psychological to her, it's just simple. I'm gonna do this for my dad, I'm gonna do this for the neighbor and I'm just gonna give it to them. And she gives it and she's like, what do you think? It's just simple and we need to be more like that amen we need to be more like that i'll share this last story with you because the point tonight is that we want to flow in the gifts of the spirit but we want to do it with the substance of god's love we want to grow in god's love we want to pursue the gifts of the holy spirit we want to do them together and we can that's the vision that paul gave us that's the vision that we're that we're going to take tonight, that's the vision that we're going to run with and believe that God can do that in our communities and in our churches. We're going to believe that and we're going to go after that. But I remember an, um, we had a conference and at our church one time and uh, me and John Hammer and a friend of ours, his, his name's Todd White, he, some of you know who he is, but was he was like going to get up to speak in the morning and me and John were upstairs up in that room and we were praying and we were like on our knees and we were crying out to God. And you know, we just, I've done enough meetings to just not want same old, same old. But I don't want to do something just to do something either. I'm not trying to stir it up or manufacture or make something happen. I just want to facilitate an environment that's transformative, this transformation where the presence and the power of God can just do what God wants to do. So I'm just up there like crying out to the Lord and we're already like 20 minutes late. Like the service has already started, the worship guy had enough sense to just start without us. Praise God for all of us doing what we know to do. And so we're up there and we're like crying out to God. We lost track of time. And um, as we're all, and then all three of us are praying and I'm in one corner, John's in another and Todd's over there. And as I start to pray, I just felt that fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit over me. Just, I don't feel things all the time but it was like whoosh, like ice bucket challenge style. You know, I mean it was like crazy. And as I did, I had this open vision and an open vision is where your eyes are open, they're not closed. And it was like a screen came down in front of me, and I don't have these all the time, but when I have them, I really have them. And so I say them with a sort of strength that I need to say them with. This was just like this. I didn't have to like write it down, so, cause I might forget it. It was like. a screen like came down in front of me and and what I saw was like, there was just like this, uh, this kind of looked like a wheel that was spinning. It was spinning so fast I couldn't see what it was. But then all of a sudden, every about every other second, this thing would slow down and it, was, it, would, it, would, it would go so fast and it would slow down like this, right in front of me. And it was a face. So these were like faces that were spinning around. It kind of sounds weird, but every time it would slow down, it was the face of somebody from a different nation. So it'd be like a a person from Africa, or it'd be a person from Mexico, or it'd be a person from Argentina, or where it was just different faces, different colors, different shapes, different sizes. It was every nation. And what I realized was this was the nations of the earth. God was showing me the nations of the world. And the more I saw the faces, the more like the love of God was poured over me and in me like I've never experienced. And I started to cry and shake and then the scripture came to me, and the scripture was, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus. And I couldn't contain it. I mean, I was like trembling, like oh. It was like, enough, enough, enough. God loves the world. And I asked the Lord, like, give me love in my heart for people that I don't walk past anybody without thinking about them. Now, I haven't lived in that fully every day of my life. I'm not going to tell you that I have, but I've asked God because he gave me a vision. He showed me like one drop of what his vision is for the world. I, I got one taste, one little drop of what the love of God is that he has for the world, and it was too much. I couldn't contain it. And so it's like part of my prayer life, God, give me a love for the nations, every person, people that I like and don't like, people that I understand and don't understand, because when you gave Jesus, you gave them for every person, no matter who they were, no matter what they would do, no matter where they would go, you gave Jesus while we were yet sinners. That's what you did. And I don't live like that, but I want to have that kind of heart, because when I have that kind of heart, I'm not just trying to be spiritual in the church, I'm trying to be spiritual everywhere I go. And I'm not just trying to be spiritual with people that I like or understand or that look like me, but every person that I come across, every age and every stage and every race and every gender, that's the heart of God. And we need Him to do, we need him to do that. No